Welcome to the weekly update. We go in depth with a particular topic. And joining me today is Senior Workplace Relations Consultant Maria Coppolis. Welcome, Maria. Hi, Daniel. So, Maria, um, you've done this before. We'll start off with a clue. So, uh, I'm going to show a clue on screen uh, and then I'll ask you to uh, take a guess as to what the topic is for today's podcast. Okay, so the clue is a, it's a picture of the Little Mermaid. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure <laughs> what to make of this clue. So, uh, Little Mermaid has red hair, and it is it is Ariel from the Disney classic The Little Mermaid. Um, Ariel has red hair, uh, and a uh, one of the uh, main songs from that movie is Under the Sea. Her hair is red under the sea. The topic of today's podcast is redundancy and associated entitlements under the medical scientist agreement. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and in particular, the, the changes to the uh, medical scientist agreement that deal with redundancy and associated entitlements at Clause 32. Thanks, Daniel. So I understand it would assist members if they had a copy of the clause in front of them as we go through this podcast. That's correct. So the agreement titled Medical Scientists, Pharmacists and Psychologists, Victorian Public Sector, Single Interest Employers Enterprise Agreement 2021 to 2025 can be found on the VHIA website. The clause we are focusing on today, as mentioned earlier, is Clause 32. So while members access that link, um, can you take us through an overview of the changes? So we'll go through the subclauses in detail, but an overview of the changes are as follows, and we'll provide them on the screen. So amendments to the existing clause, similar to other health sector agreements, which include where the employer is creating a new role or role substantially similar to the affected employee's redundant role, priority will be given to the redeployment of affected employees to the new position. Relocation allowance is paid on a written assessment of the affected employee up to a maximum of $1,900. And where the employer accepts that estimate, uh, the uh, allowance shall be paid as a lump sum. And finally, the inclusion of a subclause on the Victorian Government Policy on Public Sector Redundancy and Entitlements, which is set out in the Victorian uh, Public Sector Industrial Relations Policy from 2015. So members should now have a copy of the agreement in front of them. So should we start by taking them through the clause? Sure. So I'll start by saying there are components of this clause that differ from other agreements. And, and what we'll do is we'll highlight these as we work through the clause. Um, we'll approach the podcast as a work through of how you would deal with an employee whose role was deemed redundant following consultation. So if we set the scene, an employer has finalised consultation and the employer no longer requires the affected employee's job to be performed by anyone because of changes in the operational requirements of the employee's enterprise. The employer notifies the employee in writing that consultation is complete and the 13-week period from that point uh, is the redeployment period as defined at clause 32.2 uh, subclause H. That's right. And, and then subclause 32.3 provides what the employer must advise the employee of, and, and we'll show them on screen. So that includes the date of the affected employee's role being made redundant, the details of the redeployment process, the reasonable support that will be provided in accordance with subclause 32.3c, and also the affected employee's rights and obligations. 
So, and as part of that redeployment period, the employer's obligations are also set out at subclause 32.3C. So subclause I is to make every effort to redeploy the affected employee to a comparable role in terms of classification, grade and income, hours, roster and location, including appointing a case manager to provide the affected employee with support and assistance, uh, and to take into account the personal circumstances of the affected employee, including family commitments and responsibilities, medical restrictions, uh, limiting duties, and where the employer is creating a new role or roles substantially similar to the affected employee's redundant role give priority to the redeployment of affected employees to the new positions before considering applicants that are not affected employees. So at this point of the journey we have our first stop so where a comparable role is identified and the employee is successfully redeployed. We can however have disputes about whether a role is a comparable role that's correct. So a comparable role is defined at subclause 32.2c. In the event a dispute arises in relation to whether or not a position is a comparable role, discussion between the employer and the employee or the employee's representative will be held to try and resolve the dispute. Relevantly, an affected employee may agree to be redeployed to a role that is not a comparable role. And where a comparable role is rejected, the agreement provides as follows. So where an affected employee rejects an offer of redeployment to a comparable role as defined, the affected employee may be ineligible for a departure package referred to at subclause 32.6D. And in such cases, the employer and the employee or the employee's representative shall discuss the affected employee's decision before the employee decides its response. And as part of that consideration as to whether the role is a comparable role, the employer is required to provide reasonable support. Now that may include training relevant to their clinical area or environment of the role to which the affected employee is to be redeployed, a defined period of up to 12 weeks in which the affected employee works in a supernumerary capacity, support from educational staff in that clinical environment, and a review at 12 weeks or earlier to determine what, if any, further training is required. So this brings us to the second stop on the journey where despite attempts to find a comparable role, no redeployment is available. And, and that's right. So, so this is set out in subclause 32.3i, which can be activated either at the end of a redeployment period or where it's agreed during the redeployment period that successful redeployment is unlikely. So now this takes us to subclause 32.4, which is support to affected employees. Uh, this is activated once the employee is deemed to be redundant and includes counselling and support services, retraining, preparation of job applications, interview coaching, time off to attend job interviews, uh, and funding of independent financial advice for employees eligible to receive a separation package. Uh, other assistance may include but is not limited to career planning. So in addition to the support and assistance, there is an entitlement to 52 weeks of salary maintenance where an affected employee's redeployment results in a loss of pay. Uh, and that would involve moving to a lower grade, uh, involving working few hours, or uh, removing or reducing penalties, loadings, and the like. Um, there's also an entitlement to having long service leave and annual leave accruals preserved at their value immediately prior to the redeployment. So that takes us to subclause 32.5, which is relocation, which arises where the decision is made by the employer to require an employee to change their base employment campus, meaning a campus of the employer at which the employee ordinarily starts and finishes work. 
So in that circumstance, the employer will need to ensure that the relocation is a reasonable distance, unless otherwise agreed. Ensure that the affected employee is provided with information on the new location's amenities, layout, local operations prior to the relocation and consult with the union regarding the content of such information. So the relocation allowance uh, is paid based on a written statement of the affected employee. Uh, where the employer accepts that estimate, uh, the additional cost to the affected employee, the allowance shall be paid as a lump sum of up to 1,900. So that takes us to the last, uh, to subclause 32.6, which is the last stop. And as the clause says, the last resort for an employer and affected employee, termination. So much like the remaining Victorian public health agreements, the entitlement to severance and other entitlements are derived from the Victorian government's policy with respect to public sector redundancy and the entitlements, including pay upon termination of employment as a result of redundancy. And at the time of filming, this was the public sector industrial relations policy 2015. Subclause 32.7 sets out exceptions um, to the application of the Victorian government's policy with respect to severance pay, which arise where the employee secured a comparable role. There are additional rules and considerations for employees within a defined benefit fund. And lastly, additional consultation, redundancy and associated entitlement provisions arise out of Schedule 8 and Schedule 12 of this agreement that is li limited to specific employees of some employers. So thank you, Maria, for joining me today and taking us through the changes to the redundancy and associated entitlement provision of the Medical Scientists Agreement. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you.